Knight Rider won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files! I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about alien in space. No one can hear you scream. Yeah. God, I love this movie so much. Oh my God. I was just screaming in space. <laughs> wow, that's, that works really well on a podcast. You can't hear it. We're, we're actually, we're in space. We're recording this. Yeah. Uh, we built our own Nostromo. 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 <laughs> and uh, launched it. Probably saw it on the news. Yeah. First podcast done from space. Yeah. Wait a minute. What's that? It's in here with us. Again, really great material for a podcast. Yeah, it's acting, Adam. <laughs> I'm an actor. Man, watching this movie again, it totally holds up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Special effects, Completely. everything. And it takes place in 2037, which is coming up in 12 years, 13 years. 13 years-ish. Yeah. And uh, it totally looks like that's the the technology could still work, except for maybe the... The screens, but even that, like, yeah, I mean, they would probably have different fonts and things, but like, for, but for the most part, that could be. I could imagine a commercial enterprise sending people out into space to get, you know, materials. Oh yeah, and it literally being like, eh, this is the best we got. They're, have fun. They're already starting to plan to uh, farm asteroids yeah. and different yeah. things in space, so this isn't far off. I mean. Honestly, by the time we get into the 2030s, <laughs> this might be happening. I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I mean, another 14, 13, 14 years, I, yeah. But it's got that kind of NASA-centric sci-fi look that yeah. lends itself to realism, that it's grounded yeah. in reality. It's like more of a... You, what more you call a hard sci-fi. Hard sci-fi. Yeah, hard sci-fi. Hard SF, as they say in the uh, literary world. Nerds. <laughs> hard sci-fi. It's like hard cider. I'm more apt to watch hard sci-fi than I am to read it, because reading it is like reading technical manuals. It is it, really boring. It sounds like the worst category in Pornhub. They're <laughs> hard sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, yeah. watch some hard sci-fi. Uh, oh, yeah. That but it totally more. works in this. And, it, and, and it, honestly, there is obviously like... You know, they have artificial gravity somehow and things like that. And, and you know, there's things that they're obviously not going to worry about in a low, lower-budget film like this. Sure. Uh, but th- that doesn't belie the fact that it's a fantastic science fiction movie. It's great. It's not, as they learn later, Jaws in space. It's more, yeah, it's yeah. just a slow burn. It is the perfect double feature with The Thing. These yeah. two movies yeah. match together better than any other movies, sci-fi movies I can think of. Older casts, mm-hmm. you know, there's nobody, you know, there's nobody under 30 in the thing. <laughs> and there's only two people under 30 in Alien. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. nobody's buff. Nobody is a, a, a hero or a heroine. They're, they, no. they're just no. regular folks who are thrust into this horrible situation, which Sigourney Weaver, from the outset, <laughs> from the outset, knew she, was a bad idea. She was right. She was right from the beginning. That's why she deserved to live and everybody else deserved to die that was the, because they <laughs> disobeyed her order. She was in charge of the ship. <laughs> there was a great meme. A guy had his, his wife would, he's, they'd, she'd watch movies that he watched growing up and she summarized this as, it's a horror movie because no one listened to the woman. Yeah. And they all died because of it. Yeah. Listen to the cat lady, people. <laughs> She was so right the whole time, and it's just driven so much harder. Well, exactly, home. and it's—I mean, look—Ian Holm had his, uh, <laughs> you know, his secret little mishies 
to yeah. do because he was a spoiler alert spoiler alert yeah yeah a robot <laughs> he was uh, he was they called him a robot uh, a couple times and they changed that to synthetics in the in the in the movies subsequent and, movies oh yeah yeah well and i think that's because of the ties to blade runner yeah uh yeah yeah uh which i as far as i know these movies all take place in the same universe blade Ooh. runner and alien and now i want harrison ford to go after the alien <laughs> 30, 30 years ago. <laughs> All right. Well, take yourself back to 1979. Yeah. February 24th in Hubie, North Yorkshire in the United Kingdom, Philip Shepardson claimed time stopped after he locked eyes with the alien crew of a triangular UFO he claims to have seen hovering over a field one morning. I was walking down the field one morning, and I just looked up, and all of a sudden, a crew of a triangular spaceship was looking directly at me. We locked eyes. We locked them. I was looking in their eyes, their big black eyes, and they were looking into my eyes. And then all of a sudden, we kissed. And we were in love. And we kissed and we smooched and we ran away together. And nobody w- agreed with it. They said, interspecies, interplanetary romance is not for you. The church said no. But I did it anyway. And now I'm back because it didn't work out. Wow. All right. Thanks, Phil. I was the other man. I was a mister. Like a mistress, but a mister. I feel I feel like he watched a little bit too much Doctor Who. I, he did. <laughs> okay, I did. <laughs> Philip did. I I I mean, yeah. Uh, Time stopped. <laughs> exactly. March 4th, the U.S. Voyager 1 space probe photos reveal Jupiter's rings for the first time. I have a feeling you put this in there just so I could go, Beecher. <laughs> no, actually, I did not Beecher. even think about that at all. Um, <laughs> I can't. You block it out of your mind. It just blows my mind that we didn't know Jupiter had rings until March 4th of 1979. It's insane. It, when you really look at the history of, like... <laughs> Space uh, exploration yeah. and, and space discovery, it's really not that long of a time. Basically 100 years or so. Yeah, yeah. You know, that we really started getting into it. And, yeah, you know, Voyager was an insane – the stuff that we did back in the 60s. Oh, I know. Back in the 60s and 70s in terms of space and stuff, it seems like we just – what did we do? Did we just burn everything and throw it away and start over? Because it seems like we're starting from zero. I don't know. Just a bunch I... of billionaires with their wiener rockets. I, I don't I I think I think Reagan in the eighties tried to make NASA more military esque and then and then they kind of were like meh and then oh, yeah. they lost funding and that was it because he wanted to implement the Star Wars yeah yeah I mean he wanted to use it system, to SDI. be able to destroy Russia that much faster than they destroyed us I get it but we're we if we would have kept on the same trajectory that we had in the sixties in terms of space exploration. We would have been so far ahead at this point. We'd be point. on Mars We right would now. definitely be on Mars. We'd probably have like three generations on Mars by yeah. this point. It's just sick. It sucks. Uh, uh, this is uh, For All Mankind. That Doesn't that cover that whole, that the show kind of covers that, like if we continued the space stuff? Yes, but it, but it also, it's an alternate reality where Russia hit the moon first. Oh. So that's uh, why. I mean, because, well, because so they, of them right. uh, one-upping us, that got us to, to push keep, for Mars. Right. And so the, the race was continued because we didn't win. Right. Okay. Okay. Which makes That's sense. Interesting. I still need to watch that show. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a couple seasons behind, I'm I think. I'm pretty sure they just announced they're doing one more season and it's done. So okay. I'm, I'm curious to sit down and watch the whole thing. Yeah, but it's just, yeah, I mean, the f- once we started going to the privatization of space travel, it just blows. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just, you know, I, I mean, agree. 
it, it's becoming space tourism, you know, which is just another playground for the ultra rich, yeah. and it just means nothing to the rest of us, you know. <laughs> uh, I have a whole long, long theory about how going to space is the stupidest thing alive because it literally is trying to kill you all the time. Well, sure, and I, I think most of these billionaires don't realize that they'd look at like star trek and go yeah it'll be fine well adam what they say is that the billionaires have found a different planet which they can go to and survive and be the overlords to the fire the feeling earth in which we will be on great can they please leave now yeah um... (laughs) uh june 15th mcdonald's introduces the happy meal the united states in a nationwide advertising campaign after testing the product since february in franchises in the u.s state of missouri it was cool man i remember when the happy meal was introduced and it was like you get a toy yeah mm. i was only i was less than a year old so i to me the happy meal's always been around yeah. so like it's weird to think that it was 1979 none of us n- none of the children were happy until 1979 <laughs> adam <laughs> then happiness came in the form of a cardboard box and a crappy little toy yeah Ooh, it's a ronald mcdonald's bendable buddy <laughs> it's a june 22nd alien goes into wide release after making a may 25th premiere at the opening night of the fourth seattle international film festival presented in 70 millimeter yeah the only way to see it yeah so while studying cinema at the university of southern california dan o'bannon had made a science fiction comedy film dark star with director john carpenter and concept artist ron cobb with production beginning in late 1970 nice cobb would go on to do concept art for star wars alien raiders of the lost ark conan the barbarian back to the future of the abyss and total recall a bunch of movies nobody's ever heard yeah of. i don't even know i had never heard of this guy before uh o'bannon scripted starred and edited dark star uh, I, I, Dark Star featured an alien created by spray painting a beach ball and adding rubber claws, which was played for comedic, comedic effect. Uh, the experience left O'Bannon. Really wanted to do an alien that looked real. A couple of years later, he began working on a similar story that would focus more on horror. I knew I wanted to do a scary movie on a spaceship with a small number of astronauts. Dark, Dark Star is a horror movie instead of a comedy. Have you seen Dark Star? I have not. Okay, so it's available on YouTube. Okay. And I watched it. It is really not good. <laughs> it is the I want the alien they talked about. Like the whole thing's a comedy, sure. Because I mean, it's John Carpenter. I was like, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were all just super high the entire time because the story doesn't really make sense. Well, were you super high when you were watching it? No. Well, that's no. the problem, Adam. <laughs> but it was. It's just not. It's not bad. It's just not great or really good. It's just kind of there. Well, nobody's first movies are usually great. Yeah. And it was made on like a $1,000 budget. I mean, it was, it was really cheap. Uh, so Ronald Shusett, me- meanwhile, was working on an early version of what would eventually become Total Recall. Okay. Uh, in 1974, Shusett was the first to option the Philip K. Dick's short story, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, that became the basis of the film Total Recall. Impressed by Darkstar, he contacted O'Bannon, and the two agreed to collaborate on their projects, choosing to work on O'Bannon's film first, as they believed it would be less costly to produce. All right. Just amazing. Uh, it just amazes me that, that all of these movies took so long to get made. I know. Well, that's yeah. just... Uh, every movie basically takes a million years to get made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you make it yourself, unless it's Star Wars or something, and you... If you if you spend three years or less on a feature film, consider yourself lucky. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, every... Movie I've ever produced or worked on, it, it takes three years yeah. to get it done. Yeah, you know? it's, just, it's, it's just long, yeah. O'Bannon had written 29 pages of a script titled Memory, containing what would become the opening scenes of Alien. A crew of astronauts awakens to find that their voyage has been interrupted because they are receiving a signal from a mysterious planetoid. 
They, They investigate and their ship breaks down on the surface. He did not yet have a clear idea as to what the alien antagonist of the story would be. Okay. Well, maybe he'd be a buddy. <laughs> he would be a beach ball with claws. Hey, guys. <laughs> you need help fixing your ship? Uh, O'Bannon soon accepted an offer to work on Alejandro Yodorowsky's adaptation of Dune, a project that took him to Paris for six months. Ooh la la. Yeah. Though the project ultimately fell through, it introduced him to several artists whose work gave him ideas for his science fiction story, including Chris Voss, H.R. Geiger, and Jean Mobius Giraud. Some of the biggest names... In sci-fi artistry. Mobius is my absolute fav- favorite artist. Uh, not, a, not like, he does a lot of comic book stuff, but like his art is just so perfect. Uh, O'Bannon was impressed by Foss's covers for science fiction books while he found Geiger's work disturbing. His paintings had a profound effect on me. I had never seen anything that was quite as horrible and at the time as beautiful as his work. And so I ended up writing a script about a Geiger monster. I was, uh, when I went to Germany, there was a, in uh, Frankfurt, there was a uh, film uh, museum there, and they had a huge exhibit on Geiger and, like, some of the original alien props and stuff. It was so cool. The dude has a very odd mind. Well, yeah. His work is, he's right. It's very disturbing and beautiful. It's also kind of the basis of just about every damn. Yeah. Sci-fi, especially video game, man. I mean, oh, he yeah. dominates yeah. the the sci-fi video game sphere, and all of this, all of the tech on this movie and Star Wars and this kind of stuff, this kind of hard mm-hmm. sci-fi yeah. tech. That's Fallout. That's Starfield. That's yeah. You know, every one of these games that comes out, and these movies too. It's just it created an entire aesthetic. Yeah, this and Blade Runner basically drove what sci-fi looks like for the next 20, 30 years. The, the, I think the term you're looking for is retrofuturistic, yes. uh, which is amazing. Uh, and, and, of course, Blade Runner like, spawned cyberpunk. I mean, that was the beginning of the whole cyberpunk. Well, yeah. Well, thing. this whole month, you know, we, the, what we're doing this month is the, the ones that started them all. Yeah. And every one of these films that we're doing this month, Alien and Terminator and Rambo, uh, First Blood, First Blood, yeah. They all have franchises that have survived till today. Yeah. You know, yeah. basically. I think yeah. Rambo might be done, but it had a I, new one like two years had ago. Had a last blood. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll yeah. see if that's the yeah. actual yeah. last blood. blood. <laughs> <laughs> um, but these three movies are juggernauts that have spawned over 40 years almost. Yeah, yeah. And so many different, not just movies and TV shows, but video games and board games oh, and books and comic books. Entire and, yeah, industries yeah. have been formed by these three movies. Sometimes kids' cartoons. <laughs> Sometimes kid cartoons. Yeah, I love the My Buddy the Alien cartoon. <laughs> yeah, this little alien that he took to school and every episode, oh, it munched somebody. <laughs> oh, usually the bully. So after the Dune project collapsed, O'Bannon returned to Los Angeles to live with Shusett, and the two revived his memory script. Were they living in Sien? I, I don't think so. Okay. I think they were just friends. All right. Just saying. Shusett suggested that O'Bannon use one of his other film ideas about gremlins infiltrating a B-17 bomber during World War II and set it on the spaceship as the second half of the story. He meant the Warner Brothers cartoon idea that he stole from, which was the exact thing. The Gremlins? Yeah. You yeah. ever see the Gremlins? Well, on that, the... But that came from 
That was the whole thing in the army. Or yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. But yeah. I mean, the they the Warner Brothers did it perfectly. Sure, like two or three times. Sure, it had been in the social consciousness before that. In the zeitgeist, as they say. Yes, in the zeitgeist. Okay. Yes, the working title of the project was now Star Beast, but O'Bannon disliked this and changed it to Alien after noting the number of times that the word appeared in the script. Yeah, and Star Beast is stupid. <laughs> it sounds like a really bad '80s sci-fi movie. Again. A really bad thing to search for on <laughs> Star Beast? Yeah, don't. Uh, don't Google Star Beast, whatever you Hard want. sci-fi Star Beast <laughs> combo. Shusit and Abandon and like the new title Simplicity and its double meaning as both a noun and an adjective. Okay. Neat. Yeah. A couple, yeah. of, couple of word nerds. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> yeah. Shusit came up with the idea that one of the crew members could be implanted with an alien embryo that would burst out of him. Brilliant. He thought this would be an interesting plot device by which the alien could get aboard the ship. Amazing. An amazing plot device. And yes. not something that we've seen before. No. No. That I can recollect. Oh, and poor. And it's so funny because when John Hurt, uh, he comes back and the thing's gone. And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. Let's all, we're going to sit down and have a meal. I totally forgot how fast that went. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly it was just like, all right, here we go. Kick into high gear. Well, it was ready to, you know, it's once the face Hugger comes off, the baby's ready to yeah. be born. Yeah. And it's coming whether you like it or not. <laughs> in writing the script, O'Bannon drew inspiration from many previous works of science fiction and horror. He later stated, I didn't steal Alien from anybody. I stole it from everybody. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> the thing from another world in, from 1951 inspired the idea of professional men being pursued by a deadly alien creature through a claustrophobic environment. Forbidden Planet from 1956 gave O'Bannon the idea of a ship being warned not to land and then the crew being killed one by one by a mysterious creature uh, when they defy the warning. Planet of the Vampires from 1965 contains a scene in which the heroes discover a giant alien skeleton. This influenced the Nostromo, the Nostromo crew's discovery of the alien creature in the derelict spacecraft. O'Bannon has also noted the influence of Junkyard from 1953, a short story by Clifford D. Simak, in which a crew lands on an asteroid and discovers a chamber full of eggs. Okay. He's well, at also, least he's, uh, you know, he admits honest about it. <laughs> he has also cited his influences Strange Relations by Philip Jose Farmer from 1960, which covers alien reproduction and various EC Comics horror titles carrying stories in which monsters eat their way out of people. So, yeah, so he, he happily stole from everybody. Uh, I find it very interesting. I do want to say that I, because I don't know if we're going to talk about it again, but the giant... A skeleton, the giant alien skeleton, oh, yeah. was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Oh, everybody loved that. Cause, and, and the way they did it with the kids is really funny. I mean, yeah, the tiny, that. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that, uh, I love stuff that offers more questions than answers. Yes. And yes. develops an entire story that you don't know about. Yeah. And yeah. that you want to know about. And I think, I, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I, I think. Prometheus is what yeah. kind of explained it. And I think, if I'm remembering correctly, that the explanation was that these big aliens, those guys. The big gray dudes. Yeah. yeah. Who, you know, basically the, that guy. Uh, they have goo, and they bring their goo, and they put it in the primordial ooze. <laughs> they put the goo in there, basically. <laughs> basically making babies. Uh, Ooh, making, I mean, yeah, yeah. Making planet babies with the goo. Right. And so their goo mixes up. They're experimenting yeah, with primordial the life and soup, stuff. Yeah. yeah, and then life comes out, and then they created the alien creatures as the failsafe, as the breaking case of glass. Yeah, we need yeah. to destroy all. It's it's basically the planet killers. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But but that that also leads into questions of like, well, then what happened to this guy? Because he obviously had one burst right. out of him. Yeah. So like, if he was creating them, 
you know. I mean, but but hey, again, man. though, that's like that's just like he's on screen for twenty seconds, exactly. and it's like I could write four more movies about. Sure, this. people that uh, create bioweapons and stuff, they, you know, sometimes they are hoist by their own petards. Yeah, very, very true. Yeah, you're working yes. with some volatile creatures, Adam. But that right there, just that right there, makes it then like more interesting, right. you know, because you have a backstory that you don't know anything. It's just enough hint of a backstory, and just enough stuff to be like, get the f out of there, yeah, people. Yeah, how many more red flags Good do you Lord. need? I mean, come on. And the, then the second John Hurt falls down into the egg like laying area and he sees the thing moving. Yeah. Best idea. Stick your face over it. That's cool. Here's the one thing <laughs> that was missing from this movie that dates it. There's no video. Yeah. Like, they would have yeah. all had video. They would have been yeah, on there pushing. Even if out. they're, you know, minor 49ers, they still have. But even then, I'm going to go with the fact that the company they work for is just cheap as hell. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, but I, that's I mean, the only thing. But it also, technically, they shouldn't need it because theoretically they should never have left the ship. I mean, that was the whole thing. They went out to go pick up the all the refinery equipment right. and then bring it back. Like, I don't think they were ever intending on actually, you know, landing on a planet. Sure, but it's part of their protocol. I'm just saying. I, I know. I know. I agree. I agree. But, you know, I get it because it's 79. It wasn't really, you know, they didn't I, I, have the technology to make it that. I'm I'm going to chalk it up to corporate malfeasance. <laughs> when most of with most of the plot in space, Shusit and O'Bannon presented their script to several studios pitching it as Jaws in Space. Yeah, I mean Jaws was huge, so that makes sense. The shark? Yeah, it was pretty big. Took up a lot of space, <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> Uh, Bruce the shark. They were on the verge of signing a deal with Roger Corman's studio when a friend offered to find them a better deal and pass the script on to Gordon Carroll, David Geiler, and Walter Hill, who had formed a production company called Brandywine with ties to 20th Century Fox. Yeah, they're going to sell it to Corman. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa. Before you do that, I got a better deal for you. Yeah. <laughs> One that won't be, you know. Relegated to the drive-ins. Uh, we t- we've talked about Brandywine before. They they actually did a lot of movies uh, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, Gordon Carroll was a producer who had produced such hits as Cool Hand Luke in 1967 and Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid in 1973. Not Billy the Not Kids? Not Billy the Kids, as I wrote down. <laughs> did, did, I want to see that movie. Billy the Kids. He's like a bunch of clones. Uh, David Geiler was a writer who wrote movies like Parallax View in 1974. Great. Yeah. And Fun with Dick and Jane in 1977. Great. The, that one was great. Which was actually directed by Ted Kotcheff, uh, who goes on to direct First Blood. We'll talk about next week. Nice. Yeah, Fun with Dick and Jane was a really funny movie. They remade it horribly. Oh, with, wasn't uh, that with Steve Carell? And no. Tia Leone. Oh, no, was it was it? Tia Leone and, uh, and Will Ferrell? No, and Jim Carrey. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Walter Hill. I haven't <laughs> seen Parallax View in a long time. I need to see it. I don't think I've ever seen the original Fun with Dick and Jane, so hey. got to put it on my list. Cool Hand Luke is... Oh, <laughs> One of the best films. Ever How many made. hard-boiled eggs can he eat? <laughs> we got a big communicate. <laughs> it's such a good movie. Walter Hill started as a writer, writing The Getaway in 1972, based on the Jim Thompson novel. Great movie. Always got to mention Jim, Jim Thompson. And great novel. Again, if you're a fan of uh, noir or hard-boiled detective books. Pot boilers, yeah. Pot boilers. Jim Thompson's your man. He's the way to go. An amazing writer who never got his due. No, he did not. He uh, died penniless and thinking he was a failure, and then after he died, he became a huge success. He did. Uh, Walter Hill also wrote The Drowning Pool in 1975, starring Paul Newman, before turning to directing to his own writing with Hard Times in 1975, which was the debut of Charles Bronson. 
These are hard times, Pally. We're having some hard times. <laughs> the Driver in 1978, starring Ryan O'Neill and Bruce Dern. Okay. And The Warriors in 1979. Warriors, come out and play. O'Bannon and Shusett signed a deal with Brandywine, but Hill and Geiler were not satisfied with the script and made numerous rewrites and revisions. Can I just tell you how much I hate the name Brandywine? Yeah, I'm not a fan either. Makes it sound like we're going to have a little uh, cocktail in yeah. Middle Earth. I can't imagine. Hey, <laughs> it's the Warriors from this company, Brandywine. <laughs> Makes me think of that. Brandy, it is a lady. Oh, that not song? Brandy, you're a fine girl? Brandy, how does that go? You. Brandy, you're a fine, fine girl. girl. What a good wife you would be. <laughs> what a horrible song. What a good I wife. I love you that would... song. Okay, but yes, Brandy. But that song is about sailors and how he can't. She's in love with him and he can't because he's married to the sea. Hey, okay. <laughs> I really love that song. <laughs> but, you know, Brandy can be something other than just a good wife, I, Adam. I will say, you know who Brandy else? could be a doctor. You know who else really hates that song? The band that wrote it because it's nothing like their other music and is the only hit they had. It's sad. Yeah. <laughs> so the rewrites and revisions caused tension with O'Bannon and Shusett since Hill and Geiler had very little experience with science fiction. According to Shusett, they weren't good at making it better or, in fact, at not making it even worse. Yeah, yeah. They, they shouldn't have been rewriting things <laughs> at the end of the day. O'Bannon believed that Hill and Geiler were attempting to justify taking his name off the script and claiming Schusitz and his work as their own. Right. They wanted to make it a Brandywine production yeah. in-house with all of their little... Dip their fingers in as hard as they can. Uh, <sighs> Hill and Geiler did add some substantial elements to the story, including the android character Ash, which O'Bannon felt was unnecessary subplot, but which Schusitz later described as... One of the best things in the movie. That whole idea and scenario was theirs. Although I will say, Ian Holm, the the like him kind of malfunctioning or whatever is some of the creepiest stuff on oh screen. God, it's it's awesome. so weird when he pops that head off and everything. Oh, it was really, it was really jarring. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. Watching it again, it's great because he's got a whole other movie going on. Yeah, Ian Holm, yeah. and a whole other thing. And if you really pay attention to his performance, it's ridiculous oh. how good it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's fantastic. He's just a sneaky little sneak. <laughs> Hill and Geiler went through eight drafts of the script in total, concentrating largely on the Ash subplot, but also making the dialogue more natural and trimming some sequences set on the alien planetoid. Despite the fact that the final shooting script was written by Hill and Geiler, the Writers Guild of America awarded O'Bannon sole credit for the screenplay. Good. It makes sense they would spend time on this because it adds that extra backstory that could potentially turn it into a franchise. Sure. You know? I'm sure they weren't thinking of franchise because there wasn't a no, lot of franchise potential back then. But potentially sequels. Sure. I mean, theoretically, you could be like, oh, if it does well, then we can sh- you know, shift it off into something else. Let's open-end it. I mean, that's yeah. basically why... Uh, that's basically why Ridley Scott changed the ending to yeah. have her survive yeah. because yeah. it leaves it open. Right, right. Uh, despite these rewrites, 20th Century Fox did not express confidence in financing a science fiction film. Yeah, science fiction was just the redheaded stepchild of yeah. Hollywood back then until Star Wars came out. After the success of Star Wars in 1977, surprise, the studio's <laughs> interest in the genre rose substantially. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> huh? According to Carol, when Star Wars came out and was the extraordinary hit that it was, suddenly science fiction became a hot genre. O'Bannon recalled that they wanted to follow through on Star Wars and they wanted to follow through fast. The only spaceship ship they had sitting on a desk was <laughs> Alien. Alien was greenlit by 20th Century Fox with an initial budget of $4.2 million. Alien was funded by North Americans but made by 20th Century Fox's British 
production subsidiary. Okay. Yeah, technically it was a foreign film. I, I don't know if you realize that. Well, it's in space, Adam. There's no more foreign place than space. O'Bannon had originally assumed that he would direct Alien, but 20th Century Fox instead asked Hill to direct. Uh, excuse me? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I was going to direct it. I love that they just, literally, Brandywine's just trying to get Dan O'Bannon off this project entirely. I should have gone to Corman. You guys are jerks. Hill declined due to other film commitments, as well as not being comfortable with the level of visual effects that would be required. I'm not comfortable with this at all. Other directors considered for directing were Peter Yates, director of Bullet in 1968, Mother Jugs and Speed in 1976, and The Deep in 1977. He's a good director. Yeah. I, I, all three of those movies are good. Uh, well, the, deep, the Deep's okay. Uh, they're all okay. <laughs> I mean, The Great Gatsby's not... They're all okay. Yeah. Uh, Jack Clayton, director of The Great Gatsby in 1974... Uh, Robert Aldrich, director of The Dirty Dozen in 1967 and The Longest Yard in 1974. He seems like out of the bunch to be the most uh, yeah, most suited for the project. Agreed. Agreed. And Robert Altman, director of The Long Goodbye in 1973, Nashville in 1975, and a ton of other movies. Oh, my God. I would have loved to see the Robert Altman alien. <laughs> it would have been three and a half hours long. It would have just been a bunch of people sitting around the table talking over each other. <laughs> just for the whole movie. You know? And then the alien pops up and he's like, hey, guys. It, the alien will be like, I'm uh, supposed to be killing you or something? I think we're going to eat you guys. What do you think about that? Uh, let's talk about it for 45 minutes. You know, it makes me feel kind of sad. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love Robert Altman. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. just, honestly, I think it would have been really interesting to I, see him, yeah. his take on it. I want to see Altman do just a sci-fi movie. I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we can't now, no. but like. Yeah. Unless you clone him. Ugh. Bring him back from the deed. Uh, but O'Bannon, Schusett, and the Brandywine team felt that these directors would not take the film seriously and would instead treat it as a B-monster movie. That's uh, fair, you know, because... It, yeah. It, it could so easily have fallen into that. Well, the fact that Roger Corman wanted it, you know, that's... <laughs> yeah. You would have exactly got that. You would have got a uh, slapdash rubber monster yeah. running around. It, honestly, the, most of the movies <laughs> that Corman made... In the 80s and 90s were just direct ripoffs of Alien. Yeah. I worked on one. Yeah. The Terror yeah. Within Part 2, which is basically the same thing. Yeah. Terror Within Part 1. <laughs> it's just double, double rips. <laughs> Guyler Hill and Carroll had been impressed by Ridley Scott's debut feature film, The Duelists, in 1977, and made an offer to him to direct Alien, which Scott quickly accepted. I'll take it. Uh, have you seen The Duelists? Mm-hmm. I have. Starred Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel as two French hussar officers in the Napoleonic Wars, Dubert and Faroe, whose quarrel over an in initially minor incident turns into a bitter extended feud spanning 15 years. Yeah, I think that movie, the, there, there was a movie that was also based on that that came out recently with... Uh, oh, was there? Yeah, it was that movie. It kind of came and went. It was with Ben Affleck and... And uh, wow, he played like the king. It was me off of that. It sounded awful. <laughs> it sounded awful. And I think Matt Damon was in it. Oh, weird. And it was Matt oh, that's actually sounded more familiar now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it wasn't the Green Knight, but it was something like that. No, the Green Knight definitely was not that. No, but it was came out around the same time, and I think it had the same actor as oh, the lead uh, guy. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name. Uh, you still haven't seen the Green Knight, have you? Nope. It's a great movie. Uh, yeah, Highly maybe. recommend it. Uh, I've not seen The Duelist. I need to watch it. Uh, I do like it that now, 40-plus years later, Ridley Scott has come back to Napoleon and has actually just made a Napoleon movie. Right, which apparently is the uh, most in- unintentionally funny movie of the year, which <laughs> makes me really want to see excited it. Excited to see it. I was not excited before. 
because I'm a little bit, uh, I have had my fill of Joaquin Venus, I think, for a little while. But uh, yeah. but I, I now want to see it because it sounds ridiculous. I'm, I'm curious. I, Ridley Scott's very hit and miss. Yeah, but I, even his misses are extremely interesting. It's, and, it, yeah. And there's yeah. something to watch. Right. You know, exactly. even Kingdom of, what was that? Heaven? Kingdom of Heaven. Even that has. With some, Orlando Bloom. Uh, even that has. Did you see the stuff. director's cut? That was four and a half hours long? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Scott created. You haven't seen it until you've seen the 15 hour version. Oh, no. Scott created detailed storyboards for the film in London, which impressed Fox enough to double the film's budget. Uh, his storyboards include designs for the spaceship and spacesuits, drawing on such films as 2001 A Space Odyssey and Star Wars. However, he was keen on emphasizing horror in Alien rather than fantasy, describing the film as. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre of Science Fiction. Yeah. Casting calls and auditions for Alien were held in both New York City and London. Well, that's silly, though. It's not the. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I mean, I get what he's saying, but it's like, yeah, you know, that's going to a family and I don't know. Not that. <laughs> not that. <laughs> All right. Cast and Colton auditions for Alien were held in both New York City and London. With only seven human characters in the story, Scott sought to hire strong actors so he could focus most of his energy on the film's visual style. Yeah. And casting is so important in this, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In developing the story, O'Bannon had focused on writing the alien first, putting off developing the other characters. Shusit and he had intentionally written all the roles generically. They made a note in the script that explicitly states, The crew is unisex, and all parts are interchangeable for men and women. That's cool. Yeah, that's groundbreaking. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not done very often. This freed Scott to interpret the characters as they pleased and to cast accordingly. They wanted the Nostromo's crew to resemble working astronauts in a realistic environment, a concept summarized as... Truckers in space. that <laughs> There's literally every other, every two minutes, there's a new description of the alien movie. It's all in space. Jaws in space. Truckers in space. Uh, according to Scott, this concept was inspired partly by Star Wars, which deviated from the pristine future often depicted in science fiction films of the time. Everything was dirty. Everything was lived in. Everything had a sense of history to it. It e wasn't this. Everything was very blue collar. Yeah, but it also was lived in and dirty and grungy. And it wasn't this. Uh, it wasn't this Logan's Run pristine view of the future where everything was one hundred percent perfectly sterile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those seven human actors were Tom Skerritt as Dallas, captain of the Nostromo. Yeah. Skerritt had been approached early in the film's development, but declined as it did not yet have a director and had a very low budget. Uh, the budget's too low for me, and you guys are going to need a director. <laughs> Producers turned to Harrison Ford, but he turned down the part. No. I'm done with space <laughs> Literally operas. just did a space opera. Idiots. Although he would have been great in the part. It would have been amazing. Later, when Scott was attached as director and the budget had been doubled, Tom Scared accepted the role. Ah, all right, I'm in. It's it's nice. Look, the man knows how. <laughs> the man knows what he wants. Now that you have a director and a budget, I'm not calling the. I'm not calling her mother. Okay, I'll call her. <laughs> Scarrett's first major film role was in MASH in 1970, directed by Robert Altman. Scarrett then appeared in Harold and Maude in 1971, Fuzz in 1972, starring Burt Reynolds. I don't remember him in Harold and Maude. I don't actually, the funny thing is I don't think he was credited in Harold and Maude. Okay. I, it's been a really long yeah. time since I've seen that as well. So, uh, Big Bad Mama in 1974, starring Angie Dickinson and William Shatner and produced by Roger Corman. Scarrett has had a long career in film and TV, gaining two Emmy nominations for his role in Picket Fences in 1993 and 94. Yeah, that was a big show one of those quirky yeah. i'm sure from a small town it was a fun it was a good show it was yeah. uh his latest role was in east of the mountains in 2021 at the age of 88 
Uh, he's still kicking around at 90. He does, and he looks like, uh, whew, he sure has gone the old lady route. <laughs> looks like an old lady with a mustache, but God uh, love him. I'm glad he's still going. He, he's, he's around. He's an amazing actor. This, I've always loved him. East of the Mountains, it was literally him as like a trapper, like running through the forest. He was 88. He's crazy. He's also just got that everyman quality that yeah. makes him stand out. He's good at playing lawman. He's good at yeah. playing... Uh, just regular dudes and he was perfect in this role yeah yeah because he 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 is the guy that you turn to and you feel comforted because you know he's in charge and so many tropes were turned on their head for this movie he would have been the star he should have been the star and the guy that killed the monster that would have been the way to go yeah and sigourney weaver should have been helpless damsel in distress but she kicks ass i forgot how much she really kicks ass in this movie yeah I thought she was kind of milk toast in this movie. No. I remember. No, that's Veronica Cartwright. <laughs> but oh yeah, she didn't run. <laughs> Not like that. But uh, but it's it really just the one thing. One of the things that I love about this movie is how they took all of the kind of stereotypical Hollywood action, you know, horror movie stuff. Black guy always dies first. Yeah. You know, the woman needs to be rescued by the man. And, yeah. and just, you know, Scarrett's one of the first to die. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's the third, um, maybe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because it's, it, it's first John Hurt and then Harry Dean Stanton. And, and, then, I, and then I think it's Tom Scarrett because he's yeah. trying to find it. He's trying to be the hero. He is being the hero. And it's, just, oh, get out of there. Get out of there. <laughs> okay, Nancy Cartwright, you're not helping any. You're just making <laughs> him nervous. One of the greatest jump scares ever in the history oh my of God. Uh, him going down and then turning. And it was just so fast. And if you really look at it, the alien's like, give me a hug. <laughs> yeah, just, Hello. Hi. Yeah, I love you. <laughs> John Hurt uh, was cast as Kane, the executive officer who becomes the host for the alien, technically the second in command. Right. Uh, Hurt was Scott's first choice for the role, but he was contracted on a, f- on a film in South Africa during Alien's filming dates, so John Finch was cast as Kane instead. Uh, he was an English Shakespearean actor who most notably starred in films for directors Roman Polanski, uh, Macbeth in 1971, and for Alfred Hitchcock in Frenzy in 1972. Yeah, another mustachioed guy. Yeah, yeah. I like mustaches. <laughs> However, Finch became ill during the first day of shooting and was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which had also exacerbated a case of bronchitis. Brutal. Awful. Hurt was in London by this time, his South African project having fallen through, and he quickly replaced Finch. Oh, serendipitous. Yeah. His, maybe he gave him type 1 diabetes. They cannot approve it. Uh, his performance earned him a nomination for a BAFTA Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Hurt's career spanned five decades. Director David Lynch described him as... Simply the greatest actor in the world. He possessed what was described as the... Most distinctive voice in Britain. Hurt came to prominence playing Richard Rich in the film A Man for All Seasons in 1966 and won the British Academy Television Award for Best Actor for The Naked Civil Servant in 1975. Man for All Seasons, people don't know... It's about the kid Richie Rich, the richest kid in the world, the uh, comic books, you know, and then he grows up and he's now known as Richard Rich because, you know, he's a man. But, uh, yeah, he, he uh, he's not as fun as he was as a kid <laughs> when he was Richie. Uh, Hurt played Caligula in the BBC TV series I, Claudius in 1976. Yeah, not to be confused with the penthouse version of Caligula. Ugh. God, we, I watched that in college. We watched that literally in a room of like a thousand people. And the teacher was like, okay, here we go. And all of us 18-year-old doe-eyed just like, what is going on? Well, if you – okay. 
quick little speed bump on Caligula. <laughs> it was produced by Penthouse by uh, Gucci, Bob Guccione, I think his name was, right? Bob Guccione. Oh, Penthouse, yeah. yeah. And so it's not that bad a movie, but they just cut in a bunch of hardcore porno into it. Yeah, it was So weird. all of a sudden, it goes from this period piece to these Women with giant fake boobs and togas, you know, making out with each other and putting things in their mouths. So weird. It's so just so weird. it's just so awkward and <laughs> ham fistedly done. It's like there's no finesse to the porn they put <laughs> no, in there. It's no. basically like you know how songs are mashed up? Yeah, yeah. This is like somebody is mashed up porno in an actual film. Helen Mirren is in this for Christ's yeah. sake. Yeah. And Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hurt earned Academy Sorry. Award nominations for Best Supporting Actor for Midnight Express in 1978, written by Oliver Stone and directed by Alan Parker. Oh, God, that is such a great movie. I have not seen that in a very long time. Oh, man. If you ever think about smuggling heroin into Morocco, baby, watch Don't. this movie. You're going to lose a nut. Guy lost a testy. He was nominated for Best Actor for The Elephant Man in 1980, directed by David Lynch. I am a... I'm a human being. Such a great movie. <laughs> My name is Colin Merritt. And uh, produced by Mel Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on that's it? Yeah. Oh you didn't know that? Yeah. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. That's hilarious. On June 16th, uh, oh no, uh, Hurt worked nonstop during his career, later appearing in all of the Harry Potter movies and V for Vendetta, among countless others. Harry Potter. Uh, on June 16th, 2015, Hurt publicly announced that he had been diagnosed with early-stage pancreatic cancer. Ugh. He confirmed that he would continue to work while under, undergoing treatment and said that both he and the medical team treating him were more than optimistic about a satisfactory outcome. Following treatment, he stated his cancer was in remission on October 12th, 2015. Nice. Uh, unfortunately, he died at his home in Cromer, Norfolk, on January 25th, 2017, three days after his 77th birthday. Did his cancer come back? Yeah. Uh, and un- and much like he did, he had four movies released after he died. <laughs> yeah, it's always weird. There's he worked still, constantly. Yeah, I mean, there's still uh, Ray Liotta movies coming out. Yeah, and, you know, so and, crazy. Yeah, it, it's always creepy when you see a movie like three years after the person yeah, passed. Yeah. Uh, Sigourney Weaver was cast as Ripley, the warrant officer aboard the Nostromo, technically third in charge. Yeah, Ripley. Uh, Meryl Streep was considered for the role, but she was not contacted as her partner, John, John Cazale, had recently died. She would have been great, but she doesn't have... There's a, there is a quality that Sigourney Weaver possesses yeah. that is unlike any other quality that I've seen in another actor. Yeah, yeah. Where she has a power and a gravitas to her yeah. that I believe everything in these alien movies. Even Alien 4, when she's the, the, the clone. Yeah, yeah. It's still a badass performance. Yeah. She just is so good at being awesome. I don't know how she's, to explain it. You, when she says she's going to do something, she does it. Yeah, like you just know she's so determined, and just like ha- you just feel that emanating off of her. And she embodies her characters in such a way. She's not somebody who seems to lose themselves in the role, yeah. whereas you know with makeup and all sorts of garbage. But if you look at this role versus Ghostbusters versus Gorillas in the Mist, all completely different mm-hmm. performances but all completely grounded and just solid from beginning to end. She is a solid, solid Yeah, she's a, amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Very underrated, I think. I agree. I, I th- agree. I think because also this performance, too. Yeah. The performance in Alien is amazing. She is not a milk toast. She, is, she is, yeah. has absolutely no uh, 
she doesn't have any sort of compunctions about giving her opinion. Yeah. And yeah. And, and and she spars with uh, Ash. Yeah. Oh, that that you know? whole scene where it's like you don't even really see her much because they're focused on Ash the yeah. whole time. But like she sits down and it's just like, yeah, I gave you an order. Yeah. Why didn't you follow it? I didn't think I had to. And like, and it you can hear it in her voice that she doesn't have the actual authority to like punish him for that. But she knows. But she's like, what the hell? And she's letting him know. She's yeah. putting him on notice. Yeah. I know what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. I, I don't trust you. Yeah, exactly. Ash. Yeah. Ashhole. God, and then that scene where she's trying to talk to mother and then suddenly he's just right there. Oh, <laughs> it's, God. It's, it's so creepy. But it's just such a great performance. And and kudos too to Ridley Scott for creating an environment that is not it is it is futuristic in the way that they're all equals not equals in terms because one of the things i love about the script so much is Jafet Kodo and Harry Dean Stanton yeah. just being yeah. butthurt about their shares. We want more money! And the money. And it is so realistic. Yeah, yeah. It is so realistic, yeah. that is. Well, we're not totally. doing it until we get some more money. And then, you know, she's like, you're going to get a share, you idiots. Yeah, yeah, you're getting paid, you do man. It. And, yeah. uh, and, and just the whole... It's got that Stephen King... I know I always bring this up, <laughs> but it definitely has that Stephen King vibe, that aspect where... We really get a good half hour, maybe 40 minutes of getting to know these characters yeah, yeah. before we destroy them. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they're all very interesting, and they're all very true to life, and I believe them all as a bunch of blue-collar space workers. Yeah, yeah. And these poor guys, I felt for Harry Dean and Yafet. I mean, they have to keep that yeah. thing running with that, bubble gum and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and, and fishing a of, wire. A lot of bubble gum in Yafet Kato's case. And my favorite part is... is uh, one of my favorite parts is so uh, Harry Dean, uh, Parker, and Kane, they're down there and and, and, uh, and they're talking to Ripley and they're like, we need the money. And then ksh, and there's all this steam coming and it looks like things are falling apart. And I go, we're going to get this together. We're really going to have to get more, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then as soon as she leaves, ksh, just it just turns, turns off the steam. And it's like, all right, I guess that didn't work. <laughs> and it's just, you really get to know and like these guys because the actors are so good yeah yeah they picked a great group of seven actors that are a great character actors yeah yeah and b just they built i know that that he gave them backstory and everything but they just really built you don't see so well-rounded characters yeah. usually in this kind of movie no it's no. usually just fodder right right especially right. back then it was just hot girl fat guy you know, it, yeah. you didn't even have any alien. Names. And then it was that just was, yeah, yeah, the was, victims, yeah. you know, yeah. these superfluous. And usually you'd have a couple of guys who were jerks. So you were glad that they got killed. Right. And it's just it, they, he Scott and the writers completely ignored all of those silly tropes and made just such an engaging. Even without the alien, it would have been yeah. an incredibly engaging film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Weaver, who had Broadway experience but was relatively unknown in film, impressed Scott, Geiler, and Hill with her audition. She was the last actor to be cast for the film and performed most of her screen tests in studio as the sets were being built. Yeah, I might help too. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. it did. The role of Ripley was Weaver's first leading role in a motion picture. She had a brief role in Woody Allen's Annie Hall, which was supposed to be a bigger part but was committed to a stage performance, so she got I, cut mm, down. She mm, was just a little too old. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Weaver would go on to star in Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, Gorillas in the Mist, Working Girl, Dave, Galaxy Quest, and three of the Alien sequels amongst many others. Yeah, let's go through these again. Like I was saying, yeah. 
Oh my God, Working Girl too. Yeah, she is yeah. so good in that, playing so hateable but yet likable. Mm-hmm. You you didn't. That's the thing is you can't completely hate. She's one of those people you right, can't completely right. hate her, even though she's awful to Melanie Griffith. <laughs> and we know that Harrison Ford doesn't deserve that. But uh, <laughs> but but such a great performance. And then the opposite of that, Dave, uh, yeah. which is such a layered performance. I, I, I just think of the pitch to her. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you're the first lady, but your husband's a jerk, the president. And he has, a, let's say, a stroke. And he goes into a coma. So they find a guy that looks just like your husband. But he's not a jerk. So you fall in love with him. And then he's like, and she's like, well, okay, I'll make it work. Because I'm a genius. This is, Again, she's so clever. Because in that movie, she catches on so quickly yeah. that it's not her husband. Yes. And, like, you, it's so believable. Like, she figured that out. Even in Galaxy Quest, where she plays the bimbo. Yeah. And I'm putting my quotes yeah. up for yeah. that. She still imbues that character with a sense of intelligence and a sense of uh, integrity. Yeah, yeah. That that transcends. She always transcends the parts that she could play, and a lot of these parts, you know, whether it's Ghostbusters, Working Girl, Dave, or Galaxy Quest, they could have all been very stereotypical. Right, right. But there's nothing ever stereotypical about her performance. She's one of the masters. I put her up there with Streep. Oh yeah, and yeah. I just I. I don't I think because she because she were was because she was involved in a lot more really quotes popular films it, genre stuff yeah, yeah I don't think and, and and remarkable in them and to be remarkable in genre films is a no discount to any other actor sure but it is not as easy yeah. as being yeah. in let's say Sophie's Choice. Yeah. Where, you know, yeah. that's an Oscar bait movie well, right and there. And that's the thing is I think because she was in these early genre movies, like when she, her career was first taking off, that I, I think that the reason she wasn't nominated for a lot of other things was because people were like, oh, yeah, she's the genre person. Right. And it's it, like, no, she's bigger than that. But she tried so many different little films and, yeah. and really pushed the boundaries of her skills and her talents and never just relied on the fact that she's a franchise queen. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That was just something that she did. Yeah. She and enjoyed every, it. She yeah. really enjoyed working on these movies. Because uh, look, Ripley is one of the greatest characters, yeah. female characters, definitely written. Ripley is strong and defiant yeah. and d- does the right thing and is a true hero, especially in aliens. I mean, that's when oh, the character yeah. really comes yeah. to life and you see who she is. But he, in this, I mean, Running around with the cat and the and the flamethrower, <laughs> that poor cat, man. You gotta learn how to carry a cat carrier, yeah, lady. Yeah, give it. <laughs> the best was as she gets into the 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 like shuttle to, to leave. She's kind of tosses it, in. She's rolling like, it around. Oh, that poor cat. I wish when they opened it up, the cat kind of did a couple of circles and <laughs> fell over. I was like, whoa. <laughs> but I just I love her so much, and I I really think that she look. She's had an amazing career and yeah, everything, but yeah. I think that she doesn't get as much respect as some of the, you know, like the Meryl Streeps. Yeah, yeah. Or the Jame, Jame, Dame Judi Dench. Dame Judi Dench, yeah, yeah, I agree. But I agree. she deserves all the accolades, and she's just one of our greatest actors. For the second installment of Alien, Weaver won the Saturn Award for Best Actress and earned nominations for the Academy Award for Best Actress and the Golden Globe Award for Best Actress. And uh, she should have. It's such a demanding... Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's not only mentally taxing, it's physically taxing. Yeah. 
And yeah. to make it believable, it's there's so many moving parts. I, it just bothers me sometimes that these great performances get overlooked because they're in. Ugh, I know. Well, that's that's just now. I mean, if, if Aliens were to come out now, nobody would get nominated for any Oscars. Yeah, there's no way. Just visual effects, and yeah, maybe yeah. costumes or set design. Uh, she also earned two Academy Award nominations for Gorillas in the Mist and Working Girl simultaneously for yeah. Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. That was a good year for her. Yeah, uh, these roles also won her two Golden Globe awards. Uh, Weaver was last in the Avatar sequel, The Way of Water, which will be seen and will be seen in the upcoming Avatar third and fourth movies, releasing in 2025 and 2029, respectively. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah, oh, no, they're <laughs> happening. I know they're happening, but we'll see if they come out in 25 and 29. Uh, no, I think they will. Because the third movie's technically shot already. All right. right. Yeah. I just know that Mr. Uh, on his own time and on his I, own terms. It, because this, the second movie made so much money, I, they, they were like, yeah, we're going to go ahead. I am so baffled. <laughs> I am baffled by Avatar. Did you watch the, the second movie? Yeah. Okay. I, I can't tell you what happened in either Avatar movie. There was a lot of water in the second one. <laughs> yes. But I can't. T- I know, like, something happened. I And I, it was pretty. I it know, looked good. I know. They're not bad movies, but it, it's just, like, empty calories. Yeah, I know. I know. You, I, it's like, it, they're the equivalent of a bag of Doritos. At the time, man, oh, I yeah. love eating those Doritos, and they taste great, but... <laughs> By the time the bag's gone, I can't... I saw it in 3D in the theater, and the second we left, I was like, that was really good. I don't remember what... Oh, no, there was... See, now I'm kind of remembering. Yeah. (laughs) It's like... But the second I left, it was just like, okay, out. It's the the epitome of a popcorn movie. It's it's just nuts. And now they have the new game out, which looks really fun. It's apparently a really good mid-level. Like, apparently people are like, hmm... I looks really pretty. I'm gonna love it because I love Far Cry games, and it's yeah. basically just Far Cry on Pandora. I'm excited for when it comes to the PlayStation <laughs> free games well, sometime next I'll, year. I'd spend twenty bucks on it. Yeah, 15, yeah. I mean, it's not, it looks good. Uh, uh, well, you we, got it for Christmas, dummy. So you well, better great. <laughs> Weaver can also be seen in the Lost Flowers of Alice Hart, a seven episode miniseries on Amazon Prime. I almost started watching. Oh, that. really? Yeah, I did. I totally well, would watch her, it. I do yeah. want to see it, and I'm always curious. To you know, there was oh my god! I just watched her in a movie that was about uh, I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was about abortion. I think we talked about this on one of the shows where during you know before yeah when it yeah. was still illegal oh yeah 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 she was part of this group of women that were basically learning how to give abortions right and so were that, this underground right. Uh, a women's health clinic thing, and she was absolutely ridiculous how good she was in that movie. I totally forgot she was in that. Yeah. I don't remember the name of it at all, uh, but... Uh, I'm so old, I don't remember <laughs> anything. But uh, just look up Sigourney Weaver and abortion, and you'll find it. <laughs> yep, just, what are you doing, honey? Just Googling Sigourney Weaver abortion. Just don't do it in Pornhub. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Veronica Cartwright was cast as Lambert, the Nostromo's Navigator. Uh, Cartwright had experience in horror and science fiction films, having acted as a child in The Birds in 1963, directed oh, yeah. by Alfred Hitchcock. Literally did not realize that was her. Yeah, I didn't for years. I, I mean, I did, but I, it, I, didn't. I just watched that recently yeah. and I had no idea it was her. Uh, it's just weird. Made the transition to adult acting in Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1978. So great. Yeah. She originally read for the role of Ripley and was not informed that she had instead been cast as Lambert until she arrived in London for wardrobe. All right, that's chicken ass right there. That's mean. That's just mean. She disliked the character's emotional weakness, but nevertheless accepted the role. 
they can they convinced me that I was the audience's fears. I was a reflection of what the audience is feeling. Cartwright won a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actress for her performance. She additionally appeared in the films The Right Stuff and The Witches of Eastwick, which earned her praise. In the 1990s, she received three nominations for the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series, one for her role on ER, and two for her role in The X-Files. She was amazing. The, her performance in The Witches of Eastwick, yeah. it, that's her definitive. That shows you just how great she how is. She, yeah, yeah. She played this woman and she was right it's it's one of those characters that it's she was basically uh the prototypical karen if you yeah, want yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. of a better yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, explanation but the poor lady was so right about everything and then just got tortured this, tortured this is why she she would have been good for ripley too <laughs> she is another great actor who always gives a solid performance uh and Again, I think she's a bit underrated. Yeah, a lot underrated. A lot Let's underrated. Be honest, because yeah. she's never given a bad performance, but she's so good that she just kind of melts into a movie. Yeah. And she's just part of what makes it great without, except for maybe The Witches of Eastwick, not forcing people to pay attention to her. Forcing attention, yeah, yeah. But her, but that character was just so good that it, right. you couldn't help right. it. it. Right, And still, right. she always plays, she's just a team player, and, and her performance in Alien is Unreal the 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 fear that we see from oh, her, especially when yeah. she's just you're just like move, god damn it, yeah, and, you yeah, because Yafako is like move, move, I and, can kill it, but you can understand the absolute p- fear, the paralyzing fear of seeing something that is that your brain, first of all, is like, like what is that? This shouldn't exist. <laughs> it's still trying to make sense of this right. horror show in front of you, and and it. It works. A lot of times, you know, you're like, ah, come on, you stupid lady, but but but. But with this, it's just it. She earned the the death. She earned yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And again, just so good, and not a weak character, but a person. She's real. She's Who very is, real. You know, yeah. most of us would probably react the way she did. Uh, the only difference is I would be pooping my pants at the same time. <laughs> exactly. I mean, she's sad about her friends. She's worried about everything going on. She wants to get the hell out of there. Yeah. And that's the rest of us. That was, she know? immediately was like, let's just go. We're going to go home. And when, when she's on the radio watching the boop, boop, yeah, boop, yeah. Like, tracking uh, Scarrett, Dallas, yeah, yeah. and... Uh, and the alien, she's like, you got to get out of there. It's almost there. It's almost there. It's just, you feel. She's so concerned. She really, in, like, she loves her, her crewmates and is like, this is going to be awful. And she took the note of being the audience surrogate to heart and yeah. really became that. Yeah. And, yeah. and an, an amazing performance. I'm really glad she's still working. Uh, yeah. She continues to work mostly in TV, most recently appearing in Gotham Knights, the CW show that was canceled a couple months after its premiere. Never saw it. Yeah. Well, apparently nobody did either. <laughs> so. It's on uh, Max. Yeah. Uh, Yafit Kato was cast as Parker. Uh, the chief engineer. <laughs> Kato was sent a script off the back of his uh, recent success as villain Dr. Kananga. Kananga, thank you. Uh, Villain Dr. Kananga in the James Bond film Live and Let Die in 1973 and said he rejected a lucrative film offer in the hope of being cast in Alien. Yeah, because it's such a cool script. Yeah. Kato would go on to appear in The Running Man in 1987 and Midnight Run in 1988. He's so good in Midnight Run. So good. I mean, he's good in everything, but Midnight Run. uh, He's so good. (laughs) God, 
he just gets amped with so much. <laughs> he actually retired from film acting in the mid-90s, but came back for a final film role in 2008 in Witness Protection, the action comedy starring Larry the Cable Guy. Well, thank God. He could not have res- He's like... Working with K. Larry, the cable guy? I'm out of retirement. How do I I pass that up? He's the greatest actor of our generation. Uh, He would continue to appear on TV despite his retirement from film acting, most notably appearing in Homicide Life on the Street for all seven seasons, and the TV movie as a proud black Sicilian, a character that had never appeared on television before. That show, if you have not seen that show, it is one of the best crime shows ever. I'm I'm starting a rewatch. I'm going to start a rewatch in honor of, of uh, uh, I was going to say Kenneth Branagh, uh, <laughs> Andre, of Andre Brower, yeah, because yeah. he was so man, yeah. If you like Andre Brower, you see him as this whip skinny, menthol hundreds cigarette smoking, just firebrand. Now, the main thing of Homicide was the box where they would interrogate the guys, right, right, and Pembleton. That was his name, yeah. Detective Pembleton. When Pembleton got a perp in the box, it was magic. I, from that show, fell in love with Brower, Cotto. I can't wait to rewatch that. And Yafet Cotto is a pretty he, he, he had the accent, too. He's like a Brad <laughs> Sicilian. You know, what are you talking about, huh? And uh, fascinating. Amazing. And such a good, that's where Munch started. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, uh, uh What's his name? The comedian uh, Belzer, uh, Richard Belzer's Munch, the cop that appeared the, on like fifteen different shows, including Law and the Order and all those. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> the Arrested Development, most traveled fictional character yeah. ever. Yeah, and, and and was on Law and Order SVU for tons Forever. of years. Yeah, yeah. As as Munch, but he started in Homicide. Yeah, I, I need it. I've never seen it. I need to watch it. We have them. I think yeah. I have most of the seasons. I think you have like five of them or something. But yeah, but yeah, definitely need to watch those. Uh, Cotto moved with his third wife to the Philippines, and he passed away in March of 2021 at the age of 81. Now uh, he went. I didn't put any of this in, but he went a little downhill. Uh, became <laughs> barely took the Black Sicilian to to heart because he became a huge Trump supporter. No, and uh, and had a he literally had like a radio, like conservative radio show that he did from the Philippines. Yeah, well, uh, it was uh, a little weird. People. <sighs> When they get old and they start facing death or whatever, some people change. Look, either people get more conservative or more. Okay. (laughs) I'm also going to put this out there. If you are in the Hollywood uh, terrarium, let's say. Yeah. You're not living in the real world. You have no concept of what it is to be a normal human being. And once you lose all of that fame and love and recognition and money that you got because – not everybody's career lasts a lifetime. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people get bitter. Yeah. Harry Dean Stanton was cast as Brett, the engineering technician. Stanton's first words to Scott during his audition were, I don't like sci-fi or monster movies. Scott was amused and convinced Stanton to take the role after reassuring him that Alien would actually be a thriller more akin to Ten Little Indians. Why didn't you cast? I've cast you. <laughs> oh, my Stanton's first credited role was in Tomahawk Trail in 1957, starring Chuck Connors. Oh, he did a lot of westerns. Oh, yeah. He was credited as Dean Stanton in that movie and for another 12 years. 
His first role credit as Harry Dean Stanton was in the miniskirt mob about a gang of lady motorcyclists. Such a great movie. If you, no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's a miniskirt mob. He would also be credited as H.D. Stanton a couple of times. In a career that spanned more than six decades, Stanton played supporting roles in films including... Cool Hand Luke, Kelly's Heroes, Dillinger, The Godfather Part Two, Escape from New York, Christine, Repo Man, One Magic Christmas, Pretty in Pink, The Last Temptation of Christ... Wild at Heart, The Straight Story, The Green Mile, The Man Who Cried, Alpha Dog, and Inland Empire. He had rare lead roles in Paris, Texas in 1984 and in Lucky in 2017. Have you seen Paris, Texas? No. It's such a great movie. Yeah. I've heard lots about it. It was one of those I should have watched when I was in college and I never did. Well, you can still watch it. No. It's, it's too late. Now. Yeah. Okay. He appeared in a ton of TV shows, mostly in supporting parts, until he played a main role in 37 episodes of Big Love, starting in, 20, uh, in 2006. Yeah. Uh, his last role was in Frank and Ava in 2017, a biopic about Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner. He died at age 91 on September 15th, 2017, from heart failure. Now, for me, Harry Dean Stanton will always be a fixture at the Oyster Bar. And when I was oh, in, yeah. uh, in the 90s, we would go to the Oyster Bar, tiny little place. And every Sunday night, that MFR would get about as drunk as any human being could <laughs> and sing. And, as, and, and we would go – religiously, we would go anytime he was playing. And we wow. would go listen to him because the drunker he got, the more passionate he got. And he was a good singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But my God, the pathos that that man <laughs> – this 80, 70-year-old man, I don't know, he was, he was old then. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, and by the end, he could barely stand up. Right, right. You know, uh, but it was just. I really said that I missed oh that. I would have loved to have It was that. my favorite thing was seeing him. And he was like, I, from me to you. Yeah, yeah. That's where I was sitting. Wow. And he would sing to you, and he would talk to you, and he would, it would be part, it was just, it was like. The closest thing to like hanging out in a living room with Harry Dean Stanton and, and watching him get drunk and sing. It was That's beautiful. awesome. Beautiful. That's so and, awesome. and never like like problematic drunk or whatever. Yeah. Nothing yeah. nothing untoward about it. Just the man needed his sauce to get them pipes <laughs> lubricated. Ian Holm was cast as Ash, the ship's science officer, who is later revealed to be spoiler an Android. Spoiler alert, spoiler uh, alert. Holm was a character actor who by nineteen seventy nine had already been in twenty films. Most of the movies he appeared in were period pieces that highlighted Holmes' royal Shakespearean training. Yeah, he's got that little Shakespeare twinkle. He totally does. Uh, Holmes won the 1967 Tony Award for Best Featured Actor for his performance as Lenny in the Harold Pinter play The Homecoming. I'm coming home! <laughs> he won the Lawrence Olivier Award for Best Actor for his performance in the title role in the 1998 West End production of King Lear. I'm King Lear! For his television roles, he received two Primetime Emmy Award nominations for King Lear in 1998 and the HBO film The Last of the Blonde Bombshells in 2003. I'm the last of the blonde bombshells. He gained a claim... He gained acclaim for his role in The Beaufort's Gun in 1968, his debut future, winning the BAFTA Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Really dumb name. The Beaufort's Gun? I'm pretty sure it was a World War II movie. Okay. I, the, yeah. could, what does Beaufort's mean? I Is that know. an actual gun? Yeah, it was a big gun, like some big gun they were trying to make. Well, they should have named it something other than Beaufort's. <laughs> he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor and won a second BAFTA Award for his role as an athletics trainer, Sam Musabini, in Chariots of Fire in 1981. Hey, I'm Sam Musabini. I'm going to teach you how to run on the beach. You know what I didn't know? Because I was watching when I went home to visit my folks, and we watched some of The Crown, which I hadn't mm -hmm. seen. Did you know 
that Fyed. did you know that Dodi Fayed and his father were the were the producers for Chariots of Fire? Oh no, I didn't know yeah. that. Oh wow, okay, it's really interesting. That whole aspect of the Crown is super interesting. Oh. Look, weirdly enough. I could not give less of an ass about anything to do with the royal family. Like, you know, yeah, they're yeah. a bunch of imperialist a-holes in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. But this show is great. I know. It's done really it well. It's so captivating. It's done really well. It's, I, I love shows that take something that I could not care less about and make me interested in right, it. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a good show. Way to go, sneaks. <laughs> Other notable films he appeared in include... Brazil, Henry V. I'm just kidding, Henry V. <laughs> Brazil, Henry V, Naked Lunch, The Madness of King George, The Fifth Element, The Sweet Hereafter, and The Aviator. I. The funny thing is that I know him most from, I saw The Sweet Hereafter in college. Yeah. And that is when I first realized who Ian Holm was. Oh, my God. And that is such a heart-wrenching. Uh, that's the one about the bus yeah, crash yeah, in the aftermath. It is so, he's so good in it, and uh, it is so intense well, and so, yeah. Naked Lunch is another great I love uh, I used I had a period like most people in college where I was uh, really into uh, William Burroughs yeah and I, tr- I read everything tried to read everything <laughs> uh, like there's yeah. one of his books that is just a, a, a heroin ramble that there is absolutely <laughs> no way to make any sense of it but Naked Lunch was such a great adaptation of an unadaptable book right Peter Weller was amazing and uh and, and Ian Holm almost steals the show. Yeah. It's just, it's so good. Same thing with Madness of King George. That's another movie where yeah. it, I, I didn't think I could give less of an S. Yeah, yeah. But then watching it. it hey, he this is actually. His pee was blue. And it made him mad at him. <laughs> it was poisoning. It was probably lead poisoning. Uh, Ian Holm gained wider appreciation for his roles, the elderly Bilbo Baggins and Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings in the Hobbit trilogies. You know, the thing about that is it made him so cuddly. Like the yeah, Hobbit. Yeah. He, I don't know. Like, he's such a great actor in his roles in Brazil and Henry V, Naked Life, Madness King George. They're just very complex and very, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, even... Fifth Element, which is such a fun, yeah, it, probably my favorite role of his because it just seems like he's having a blast yeah. doing it. Yeah, but it's just not that I didn't dis- dislike the the Hobbit movies; they were fine. But it just he yeah. seems like such. They made him into such a cuddly little guy. Yeah, I mean, I my favorite part about that was when it, the moment and the moment he gets to quote unquote act is when he <laughs> he wants to get the ring back, and it's just like the intensity is just yeah. so strong. It's, it's just yeah. Just shows how good of an actor he is. The man is amazing. All these guys that come from the real Shakespeare theater, yeah. you know, they always... Oh, oh, yeah. But some of them, and I'm looking at you, Kenneth Branagh, some of them just can't shake the theater yeah. in their performances. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it and it is detrimental to film to have that theater aura about you. Right. And he's one of the guys that is definitely... Theater and film and TV and it's oh yeah none no of the he two he knows he knows what he's doing knows his craft like nobody else uh, he also voiced Chef Skinner in the Pixar animated film Rat Tattooey oh yeah yeah uh, his final film role was in The Hobbit the Battle of the Five, Five Armies in 2014 around that time Holm had been diagnosed diagnosed with Parkinson's disease oh. and unfortunately he died in hospital in London on June 20 June 19th 2020 at the age of 88 well that's a good run but still. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we definitely could have used more Ian Holm. 
Uh, but he's great. Any movie you see him in, is, is he makes the movie better. Of course. Yeah. Balaji Badejo as the alien. Uh, Badejo, as a 26-year-old design student, was discovered in a bar by a member of the casting team who put him in touch with Scott. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. You're, you're, you're tall. <laughs> Excuse me? Ish. Okay. okay. We're making a movie about an alien comes and gets you, okay? And he gets his chest burst into your chest. You're the guy. I'm going to introduce you. You're the guy. I'm going to get you in the movies. Okay, sure thing, pal. Maybe you've had a bit too much. <laughs> Badejo was from Lagos, Nigeria, the son of a director of the director general of the Nigerian Broadcasting Corporation. Nice. Uh, Scott believed that Badejo, at six feet ten inches, seven feet inside the costume, and with a slender frame, could portray the alien and look as if his arms and legs were too long to be real, creating the illusion that a human being could not possibly be inside the costume. Okay, but but still, I mean, he was extremely. Intimidating, and he moved really well in that costume, especially. Oh yeah, in yeah. the end when he comes out, when you're like, oh, oh he's y- taking a little nap. Yeah, you see him sleeping. <laughs> he's just taking a little winky nap. Uh, he was described as mild mannered and withdrawn on set. And special effects supervisor Nick Alder said to have been the center of attraction, it was a bit of a shock to him. Stuntman Eddie Powell and Roy Scammell also portrayed the alien in some scenes. After the success of Alien, Badejo was offered roles for future installments. However, he turned them all down and moved back to Nigeria in 1980. Yeah, I mean, it's no fun being in the suit. Yeah. Uh, This led to the later sequels incorporating more puppetry and animation alongside several suit performers. Uh, Alien is his only film credit. After his return to Nigeria, Badejo began running his own art gallery in 1983. Unfortunately, he died from sickle cell disease at the age of 39 in 1992. Good Lord, that's way too young. awful. It's horrible. Helen Horton was cast as the voice of Mother, the Nostromo's computer. Uh, Horton was born in Chicago and went to Northwestern, where she met and became lifelong friends with Patricia Neal, who would star in The Day the Earth Stood Still in 1951. Great actor, Patricia Neal. Yeah. The only notable film that she did before Alien was Phase 4 in 1974, the science fiction horror film that was also the only noted, uh, sorry, the only film from noted graphic artist Saul Bass had ever directed. Yeah, there's a reason. Uh, it's funny, you know, I put this, I think it's on, it's on something, and I want to watch it, because it looks so bizarre. Oh, yeah. But it's, I love Saul Bass so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you should watch Phase 3, then. It's a little bit better. <laughs> After Alien, she was in Superman 3 in 1983, and The Razor's Edge in 1984. Sadly, she died in 2007 at the age of 83. Good run, but that's still too young. To assist the actors in preparing for the roles, Scott wrote several pages of backstory for each character, explaining their histories. Totally helped because it rounded out these people. There were people we were watching, not yeah. characters. He filmed many of the rehearsals to capture spontaneity and improvisation and tensions between some of the cast members, particularly towards the less experienced Weaver. Ooh. This translated convincingly to film as tension between the characters. Roger Ebert notes that the actors in Alien were older than was typical in thriller films at the time, which helped make the characters more convincing. None of them were particularly young. Tom Skerritt, the captain, was 46. Hurt was 39, but looked older. Holm was 48. Harry Dean Stanton was 53. Yvette Koto was 42. And only Veronica Cartwright, 30, and Weaver at 28 were in the range of the usual thriller cast. Many recent action pictures have improbably young actors cast in key roles or sidekicks, but by skewing older, Alien achieves a certain texture without even making a point of it. These are not adventurers, but workers hired by a company to return 20 million tons of ore to Earth. I can't believe that John Hurt was only 39. 
Yeah, he looked. God, rough. he looked like he was in his fifties. I think he was a drinker. Oh, God, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he was. I but, do, yeah, but he yeah, looked. that's just crazy. He just had bad skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, Alien was filmed over fourteen weeks from July fifth to October twenty first, nineteen seventy eight, at Shepperton Studios near London. The production schedule was short due to the film's low budget and pressure from Twentieth Century Fox to finish on time. O'Bannon introduced Scott to the artwork of H.R. Geiger. Both of them felt that his painting Necronom, Necronom 4, was the type of rep- representation they wanted for the film's antagonist and began asking the studio to hire him as a designer. Yeah, his artwork is disturbing. It's, it's awesome. It's so it's, good. But it's, but it's so, so weird. And it has, like we said, it's his creatures and his designs. Every video game, every sci-fi yeah, movie, yeah. everything, that, you know, whether it's... Uh, Alien, or if it, it even it didn't Geiger do, uh, didn't he do Species as well? That's possible. I, if he didn't, it yeah. looks exactly like then it. Then they ripped him off. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, either it's a Geiger or Geiger ripoff. Yeah. Yeah. Especially everything in the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fox initially believed Geiger's work was too ghastly for audiences, but the Brandywine team were persistent and eventually won out. Scott loved Geiger's work and realized that a huge part of figuring out the movie had been solved. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy. It's like, well, I don't know what to do with this. Oh, hey. This painting is literally the art style I want. But the alien is so important. Yeah, yeah. It's the title creature. It's an alien. But if the alien... I mean, look no further than the stupid alien baby from, what was it, Alien 4? Yeah, yeah. You know, that alien was so ridiculous looking that there was nothing to fear of it. And, And... Otherwise, a good movie. Directors that I love. You yeah, know? I know. I, love I know. Guys. I know. All four. All four of them. I love Every all of them of so them. much. Yes, and and I even though I know that he hates it, I still think Alien Three is one of the most underrated. I agree. And great I sci-fi agree. movies there is. The franchise just so. I would have loved to see Fincher's actual vision of right. that. Right. Right. Uh, there is a great. Just quickly, uh, if you got a few extra bucks, pick up the Alien Quadrology. On DVD, you could probably yeah. pick it up used. They probably have it on Blu-ray I, now. I think they have a one with the other two movies, too, yeah. But they come with so many great features, and yeah. one of the best parts is you get the director's cuts of all of these movies. Right, right. And it's rough because it's a lot of animatics, which are... Yeah, unfinished stuff. Right, yeah. animatics are kind of a, a, an animated storyboard... Sketches, s- yeah. That, yeah. ...that gives representation of what's going on, and it's kind of a guide for the special effects crew... But you get to see as close to the visions of these directors, right, and, and right. it's uh, it's definitely even though it's a little rough, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. I just think without the the alien and the extra mouth and the steel That's teeth, so weird, and the shape of the head, it really seemed like it could be a real alien to me. Yeah, yeah. More so, you know. You always see the big, gray-headed, big almond-eyed aliens with the tiny little mouths. The grays, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you see some sort of dinosaur uh, hybrid thing. Right, right. Or it's just something silly or reductive or that just, eh, it, easy. This was the first time that they really, it really seemed like this could be a creature that lived in space. Yeah. And the fact yeah. that it had acid for blood and the fact that... Well, that, yeah, it, could, it really couldn't be killed. Exactly. I mean, it without was... Without killing you. Yeah, it, it yeah. Was, it's, it's the, the most frightening monster ever. It was the peak of evolution yes. as a killing machine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it was. It was 
if, if we're to believe the future installments, it was designed as a planet exterminator. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it makes so much sense. The fact that its blood is acid, that, that even if you try to kill it, it will kill you. Right. It, right. it was. It's an amazing creature and one of the greatest scary villains of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah. A crew of over 200 craftspeople and technicians constructed the three principal sets, the surface of the alien planetoid and the interiors of the Nostromo and the derelict spacecraft. You know what I kept thinking? Every time they went into the uh, mother chamber, yeah, I just kept thinking those poor sons of bitches that had to screw all of those little <laughs> lights in for that, that was, set. The first shot of it, I was like, really? Are all those lights necessary? And then on close-ups, it was they were all labeled. Yes. And it's like, oh man, I just I don't have the patience to be a set design, <laughs> a set builder. I yeah, think because it yeah. would just be really. 560 lights, working lights. Yeah. They need, oh, and, and labeled. And they have to blink? And, and, and we, Random patterns? <laughs> you need them by tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, the cocaine budget just went up. <laughs> 1978. Uh, all of the visuals shown on the computer screens on Nostromo's bridge are computer-generated imagery. And were state-of-the-art. Yeah. Because there was color. There was uh, 3D. It was They used CGI because it was easier than any alternative. Uh, for scenes showing the exterior of the Nostromo, a 58-foot landing leg was constructed to give the sense of the ship's size. 58 feet, man. That's huge. Scott was not convinced that it looked large enough, so he had his two young sons and the son of Derek Van Lint, the film cinematographer, stand in for the regular actors wearing smaller spacesuits to make the set pieces seem even larger. We get your kids in now. <laughs> Uh, they they just came to... I don't care if they just came to visit. Putting children in there. Get, get Jam a, them in those little suits. Get a tiny suit and put them in it. The same technique was used for the scene in which the crew members encountered the dead alien creature in the derelict spacecraft. The children nearly collapsed due to the heat of the suits. Uh, Dad, uh, you can't breathe. It's so hot in here. Shut up. I'll get you a toy on the way home if you don't die. Oxygen systems were eventually added to help the actors breathe. Fine. Give them little bastards oxygen. You crybabies. Quit crying, crybaby. Four identical cats were used to portray Jones, the crew's pet. During filming, Sigourney Weaver discovered that she was allergic to the combination of cat hair and the glycerin placed on the actor's skin to make them appear sweaty. By removing the glycerin, she was able to continue working with the cats. She literally, it happened like like two weeks into production, and she was like, I'm allergic to this cat. You have to recast me. And and they figured out what it was, and she was able to stay on. But it it was just like... Can you imagine? It's your first major film yeah. role, and you're like, eh, goddamn cat's going to do me in. Yeah. It was mostly the glycerin that they that. So I think that's why she's less sweaty than most of the other characters. Well, it, less sweaty when she's with the cat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alien originally was to conclude with the destruction of the Nostromo while Ripley escapes in the shuttle Narcissus. However, Scott conceived of a fourth act to the film in which the alien appears on the shuttle and Ripley is forced to confront it. Such a good oh, yeah. twist, too. Yeah, yeah. A great reveal. It just, it, it, the fact that it's just there sleeping. <laughs> Such a great reveal. Where are we going? What happened? The, you can sit the whole time she's punching buttons. It's there. Yeah. Y- you can see it. Yeah. It's just hanging out. <laughs> he pitched the idea to 20th Century Fox and negotiated an increase in the budget to film the scene over several extra days. Scott had wanted the alien to bite off Ripley's head and then make the final log entry in her voice, but the producers vetoed this idea because they believed the alien should die at the end of the film. That would have been the greatest ending. It would have been so bizarre. It would have. I'm glad it didn't happen because yeah. we need Ripley as the as the star of the franchise. Yeah, yeah. But if it was a one-off, 
Oh, that man. would have been so great and so creepy and so seventies too. By the way, because it was yeah. a very yeah. dystopian ending time. I mean, look at the ending of uh, the thing. Yeah, you know? well, even the Soylent Green, like yeah. all these. I mean, yeah, it was. Yeah, I just, I just also love the idea of like suddenly the alien talking in her voice, yes. and it's like, oh my god, it can do that too. It would have been just so creepy. It would have been amazing. Yeah. For the filming of the chestburster scene, the cast members knew that the creature would be bursting out of Hurt and had seen the chestburster puppet, but they had not been told that fake blood would also be bursting out in every direction from high-pressure pumps and squibs. Yeah, brilliant move, too, because the reaction the, the reaction of the first pop yeah. where you just see the blood, the way that the cast reacts to that is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The scene was shot in one take using an artificial torso filled with blood and viscera with Hurt's head and arms coming up from underneath the table. The chest burster was shoved up through the torso by a puppeteer who held it on a stick. When the creature burst through the chest, a stream of blood shot directly at Cartwright, shocking her enough that she fell over and went into hysterics. According to Tom Skerritt... What you saw on camera was the real response. She had no idea what the hell happened. All of a sudden, this thing just came up. It was originally that the bit where the blood comes up, that was technically they did it twice. And the first time, it didn't work. And that's that bit you see with the blood. And then they did it again, and that's when they just shot geysers of blood at her. It pops out and goes, so great. Hello, my honey. Hello, my baby. (laughs) I get every time, every time. Yeah. Uh, Which John Hurt, (laughs) I love the fact that he did that again for Spaceballs. I love him. Editing and post-production work on Alien took roughly 20 weeks to complete, concluding in late January 1979. Terry Rawlings served as editor, having previously worked with Scott on editing sound for The Duelists. Scott and Rawlings edited much of the film to have a slow pace to build suspense for the more tense and frightening moments, according to Rawlings. I think the way we did it right was by keeping it slow. Funny enough, which is completely different from the way they do it today. And I think the slowness of it made the moments that you wanted people to be sort of scared... Then we could go as fast as we liked because you suck people into a corner and then attack them, so to speak. And that's how it worked. The first cut of the film was over three hours long. Further editing trimmed the final version to just under two hours. I'd like to see that cut. I would, too. I feel like that would probably be too long. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, The musical score for Alien was composed by Jerry Goldsmith, conducted by Lionel Newman, and performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra. Goldsmith wanted to create a sense of romanticism and lyrical mystery in the film's opening scenes, which would build throughout the film's suspense and fear. Scott did not like Goldsmith's original main title piece, however, so Goldsmith rewrote it as... The obvious thing, weird and strange, and which everybody loved. Sometimes you just got to go with the obvious. Yeah. Yeah. The film had no formal premiere, yet moviegoers lined up for blocks to see it at Grauman's Egyptian Chinese Theater in Hollywood, where a number of models, sets, and props were displayed outside to promote it during its first run. Uh, Vandal set fire to the model of the space jockey, believing it to be the work of the devil. Well, it was, Adam. <laughs> the devil actually was credited as creating the yeah. space jockey. Space jockey. The film was a commercial success, opening in 90 theaters across the United States, plus one in Canada, setting 51 house records and grossing over $3.5 million over the four-day Memorial Day weekend. Oh, yeah. It ended up grossing around $184 million worldwide from an $11 million budget. It was a juggernaut. It was so... People were... Just clamoring for something like this, too. And yeah, it delivered. And I just I remember people talking about it and being so scared. I would I would have wanted to have seen it multiple times. Like I would have had I would like to go in the theater and see it times. Yeah. Yeah. Despite this apparent box office success, 20th Century Fox claimed that in the 11 months since its release, Alien had lost the studio two million dollars. You know, (laughs) 
<laughs> Seen as an example of Hollywood creative accounting used by Fox to disguise the film revenue and limit any payments to Brandywine, the claim was decried by industry accountants, and by August 1980, Fox readjusted the figure to $4 million profit, although this was also refuted. Hey, guys. Hey, Bob. Hey, it's Bob, the executive. Um, you, know, you know, I got my start as an accountant, and um, my job back then was to uh, make sure that nothing made any money. And uh, on the books. Well, but it did make money. Did it? If Yeah, it made $184 million. Did it? If the budget was only $11 million, well, was how it? did it lose $2 million? Oh, well, you're obviously not an accountant, Adam. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's true. I'm not an accountant. Uh, I am i don't want to be condescending, but... Too late. <laughs> I know math. <laughs> and the truth is, just like there's algebra and different types of math there's studio math adam yeah i don't think you're very well versed in it yeah creative accounting well yeah i guess but i was always able to find a loss i made i was the one that said that star wars lost 400 million dollars wow okay yeah good job nobody believed me uh i think i just saw your kid hop onto a garbage truck you should probably go uh go chase him down no he's eight time for him to get a job (laughs) <laughs> anyway, happy, happy holidays. Okay. <laughs> you see what I did there? Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, eager to begin work on a sequel, Brandywine sued Fox over their profit distribution taxi- tactics, but Fox claimed that Alien was not a financial success and did not warrant a sequel. Yeah. I also made sure about that. It, it, it literally almost made $200 million. It's and like, somehow they're like, no, we don't want to do that again. That didn't happen. Uh, the lawsuit was settled in 1983 when Fox agreed to fund an Alien 2. Fine, we'll do it. Mm. Critical reaction to the film was initially mixed. Some critics who were not usually favorable towards science fiction, such as Barry Norman of the BBC's film series, were positive about the film's merits. In their original review on sneak previews, critics Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert gave the film two yes votes. That was before their thumbs up. That is true. Ebert called it... One of the scariest old-fashioned space operas I can remember. Siskel agreed that it was scary, but said it was basically a... Haunted house film set in a spaceship and was not the greatest science fiction film ever made. He still gave it three out of four stars in his print review. He's such a douche. I am sorry, but he's so... uh, you know, he's just a petty little... I know, I know. But, you know, he was good at what he did. Uh, and Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I have a he's very love-hate a... relationship. I loved them as a kid. I watched at the movies. Yeah, I went from yeah. PBS to when they were syndicated. syndicated yeah. But I was always more of a fan of Ebert because he genuinely seemed to love movies while Ebert just... Or Siskel seemed just a little butthurt that yeah. he wasn't making them. Yeah, yeah. Alien won the 1980 Academy Award for Best Visual Effects and was also nominated for Best Art Direction, losing to All That Jazz. All That Jazz with Roy Scheider. Yeah. Do you think it should have lost to All That Jazz? (laughs) You know, All That Jazz is a bad movie. (laughs) But it was Art Direction. Yeah. If there's not a movie that screams Art Direction more than Alien, I don't know what does. Well, look, man. More Academy members were fans of musicals than science fiction back then. Even now. The success of Alien led 20th Century Fox to finance three direct sequels over the next 18 years, each by different writers and directors. Oh, yeah. Uh, some great ones, too. 
Yeah. Sigourney Weaver remained the only recurring actor through all four films. The story of her character Ripley's encounters with the aliens became the thematic and narrative core of the series. Yeah. The only other character to appear, I think, in all the other alien movies and even in the Alien versus Predator movies was Lance Henriksen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Because they established him. He was the... He was the synth in Aliens. Yeah. And then they established him as the creator or the owner of the company that started. Wayland yutani yeah. yeah. So, and then they, the synths were in his. I just, I don't remember him in the fourth movie at all. I don't know if he was in the fourth. He, yeah. I know he was in the third. He came in at the end yeah, of the third. Yeah. And I know he was in second. And I know he was in. The first Alien versus Predator. So. Yeah, because later, eventually, that was character was played by um, Guy Pierce. Yeah, in the in the other is the younger version, Prometheus mm-hmm. and Alien Revenant or whatever the hell's called. Hey. Yeah, uh, James Cameron's Aliens in 1986 focused more on action, involved Ripley returning to the planetoid, accompanied by Marines to confront hordes of aliens. They come at night, mostly. Game over, man. Mostly. <laughs> David Fincher's Alien 3 in 1992 had nihilistic tones and found her on a prison planet battling another alien, ultimately sacrificing herself to prevent her employers from acquiring the creatures. Oh, such a good, such a good movie. It's a weird, it was a weird mashup of two scripts that worked, but kind of worked and kind of didn't. I, it yeah. was just fascinating to me how nihilistic it was and yeah. how the fact that it was, you know, Everything from it just negated everything from he, aliens. He David Fincher was like, I have this great script. It is, or I, I don't think he wrote it, but it was like, I have a script that is a just great religious undertones about how the alien and like all the religious things. And they go, that's great. We're gonna throw it on Prison Planet. <laughs> <laughs> I still love that movie though. Uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet's Alien Resurrection in 1997 saw Ripley resurrected through cl- cloning to battle more aliens even further into the future. Yeah, and had to know the writer and Ron Perlman. Yeah, and, uh, and and technically that was the end of... I don't. I, I haven't seen the other two in a long time, so like I don't know if they're even further. But that movie literally ends with the alien going back to Earth. So Four? I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure that everyone on the Earth is dead. Oh, if we're lucky. <laughs> The success of the film series resulted in the creation of a media franchise with numerous novels, comic books, video games, toys, and other media and merchandise appearing over the years. Oh, yeah. Uh, Alien Isolation is a great video game. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. A number of these began appearing under the Alien vs. Predator crossover imprint, which brought the alien creatures together with the eponymous characters of the Predator franchise. And it's just so poorly executed. The comics were really good. Which is why they, and they're very popular, which is why they made the movies, but the Alien vs. Predator in 2004 and then Alien vs. Predator Requiem in 2007 were both not good at all. Well, I will say, I think Requiem's a fun film, because Requiem leaned okay. into the fun of it, and it was gory, right. and it had a decent cast, and it, it wasn't as pretentious and right. ridiculously horrible as the first one was. I, d- uh, I, I don't remember either of them. The first I, one I was know I've just seen them both. weird. And all I, I remember is like the them. big place, and they were all wearing winter coats. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but the second one was really fun because it was the kid and his brother. And, yeah. you know, they had to deal with it. it was, I, 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 I would, I'm going to probably – I've been inspired to kind of go through them all again. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. go, definitely go through the Aliens movies. I'm skipping Alien versus Predator, but I think I'm going to watch Requiem. I, I, I'm going to try to watch all of them. I'm curious. I can't. I can't I, with the first Aliens versus Predator. I, I, it's just I so know boring. I've only seen it's just it once. a bad movie. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll watch it on three hate, times hate speed watch it. or something. Yeah. 
In July 2009, 20th Century Fox announced that John Spates had been hired to write a prequel to Alien with Scott attached to direct. The script was subsequently reworked by Scott and Damon Lindelof. It was titled Prometheus. It went into production in May 2011 and was released the following year. Uh, Variety reported on February 18th, 2015, that a new Alien film would be developed by Neil Blomkamp. Uh, on who did District Nine? That uh, looked so awesome. The concept yeah. that he showed, yeah, and his idea for it. Everybody was like, "Yes, we're yeah. all on board. We want it." In Good. fact, even Sigourney Weaver was on board because she was confirmed to have a role in the film. The intent being to produce a direct sequel to Aliens, yeah. ignoring the events of later films featuring the characters of Hicks and Newt. Yeah, they were going to bring back. Uh, they were going to bring back Michael Bean, and yeah. they were going to bring back Carrie Henn, I think. That is the kid. Is yeah. the kid? Yeah. And uh, it was just going to, it just looked and sounded awesome. Blomkamp's sequel was ultimately shelved by Fox in favor of Alien Covenant, a continuation of Scott's prequel, Prometheus, which was released in 2017. I don't remember that movie at all. Uh, I know I've seen it, and I agree with you. I don't remember what happens. I don't remember. Look, I think both of those movies are fairly forgettable. I I remember more of Prometheus just because of the conceit. I do want to watch both of them again just because I'm curious. I I don't really remember liking either of them, but... I remember liking Prometheus. I don't remember anything about Covenant. Covenant. I don't remember anything. In 2019, students at North Bergen High School in New Jersey adapted the film into a play. The production had no budget, with props and sets developed from recycled toys and other items. Social media recognition brought Scott's attention to the play... He wrote a letter of congratulations to the students, saying, My hat comes off to you. My hat comes off to all of you for your creativity, imagination, and determination. And he recommended they consider an adaptation of his film Gladiator for their next stage production. I'll even give you the pants. He donated to the, to the school... He donated to the school to put on an encore performance at which Weaver actually attended. So cool. Uh, she got on stage before the performance to congratulate the cast and crew for the creativity and commitment. Actually, she got up and said, I'm suing all of you for copyright infringement. I just love the fact that they were like, the, both of them were like, this is awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. It, I love the whole series. I, I, I know that the third and fourth movies are flawed. I, I, don't I know care. they have I issues. Them. I love them anyway. I love the directors. They're yeah. such good auteurs. They are, there are some movies that are interesting disasters. Yeah. Because they have good directors and good writers, but somehow things kind of go off the rails. There are some amazing moments in both of those movies. Uh, there's some really uh, un. There's some really great underwater scenes. Oh yeah, Alien Four yeah. of the alien. Oh yeah, yeah, swimming yeah, yeah. and just some great jump scares and 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 the character development in three. Yeah, all of yeah. these. You, it's so hard to like anybody because even the doctor, who's played by, uh, 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 you know, the guy from Game of Thrones who was the oh yeah, the big bad. Um, even he, you know, he's he's sort of charming and everything, but he's a he's a murderer. Yeah, they're yeah, all yeah, killers. Yeah, and criminals yeah, yeah. They're and, they're on, they're in prison. Yeah. And and you know, and they've all taken this vow of celibacy, and they've all and and the fact that there's a woman there is just a right. threat to their existence and a threat to this almost almost like a, a monastery that they right. created right. with right. this belief system to keep them because there's everybody there is a criminal, even the. 
the people in charge right, right. have some sort of yeah they're yeah the, who's gonna the poor, choose to go to a prison planet poor guard they call him like 70 or something and they're like why are you calling that it's because we found his iq <laughs> and the guy's really dumb but uh but yeah there's just there's things to love about every one of the movies yeah, yeah. of course the first two are masterpieces yeah masterpieces and you know uh I would like to see maybe an alien TV show. Yeah. You know, a prequel TV show, you know, maybe something that is people stumbling upon aliens in a different situation or something. I don't know. Or there's so much that's still able to be done with this franchise. Yeah. So many stories yeah. to, to still be told, I believe. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, alien Isolation is great. It's kind of adjacent to the first Alien movie. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the voice actors, like Veronica Cartwright and Sigourney Weaver, do voices in it. I mean, they're not like characters, right. but it's like you finding pieces of information. Sure. And, and, and isn't the protagonist Ripley's daughter? I think so. Yeah, because I think she's going out to go find, to her figure mom out what her mom or something. is. Yeah. yeah. And then there's yeah. some great... Uh, there's a strategy game that just came out. Yeah, like the, the there's a Aliens Dark Descent, I think. Yeah, and then there's the the squad base game yeah. that we just got for free. I th- I think that was Aliens Dark Descent. And then there's the yeah. the one that just came out that's more of a RTS. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Where you kind of right. you're you're the guy telling them where to go. You're right. not actually right. playing as the as the soldiers. Um, but there's there's so much more that can be done with this. I, I don't as far as I know, there's no plans on doing any further alien movies. Uh, you know, no shows or anything. There but. will be. No, I. You know, honestly, I think I thought I heard that there were oh, doing maybe a there show. Is. There was, I think, rumblings about a sh- a, a TV, TV show. show. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be. I'm sure it'll be interesting, but. Uh, I mean, you could easily set something during the same time as Alien and yeah. use all that. That kind of retro technology and stuff. I just want to see it move away from the military aspect. I'm tired of seeing space marines yeah, and yeah. aliens and oh. predators. Thank you, James Cameron. Well, he did a great job. And I know, that was he a did. great story. And it was an action film, and he completely took it in. You know, he basically terminated <laughs> uh, <laughs> the franchise by making it more right. along the lines of his type of thing. It still fit perfectly into the universe, and it made sense. I mean, the thing I love about aliens is that they find her, what, 100 and something years later? Or yeah, it's years like later. 120 years later, 140 years her, later. Her family's gone, and she's, yeah, she's alone. She's turning the cat, and they're like, you know, you blew up the, the ship. <laughs> you owe us a lot of yeah, money. You're yeah. going to have to come back to work, Ripley. Yeah, that was sorry. like, you're going to have to work that off. A 50 billion tons of ore that you destroyed. Yeah. You're like, that's it. We kind of own you now. That, my favorite, absolute favorite thing in all the franchises, the scene where she's doing the basketball, uh, she's playing against... Um, Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman. The scene where she throws it over her head, that's not CGI. I she know. literally did that. It's amazing. And they were so shocked. They were like, we're going to do this like 50 times, or we can just you know do a CGI ball. She's like, let me try. First take. Bang. You can see it on the, yeah. the faces of the other actors. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> holy moly. It's yeah. just Sigourney Weaver is such a badass. She's, she's so awesome. She's amazing. I really love when a movie creates a universe that is expanded upon yeah. on different movies. And I think all of the movies that we do this month, mm-hmm. you know, uh, well, especially Alien and Terminator. Yeah, yeah. Just expanded into this completely... Uh, ridiculous universe of so many different things happening and so right, many different right. stories to tell. I think first blood <laughs> is kind of the it, first blood's the best of the bunch. 
Yeah. It's because it's a real movie. You yeah. Know, about yeah. a real guy. And that yeah. subsequently gets more and more ridiculous. <laughs> and they're fun. <laughs> Up until the the first four are fun, ridiculous, stupid yeah. movies. The the Rambo, I think it's the penultimate one or maybe the third to the last one where literally the third act of the movie is just him with a machine gun blowing oh, guys apart yeah, for 40 yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Eh. I could not. I, I don't need to see that one again. Yeah, you know, I don't think I'm going to be rewatching all of, all of those <laughs> movies. I think it was the second to last one where he gets on. To, he's there's a driver in a jeep and he gets on the back with the gun. That's what I'm talking he, about. Yeah. Oh, and I think it was the second to last one. Yeah. So that was like 2010 or 2011. But that guy just becomes mincemeat yes. and it is so disturbing. And then he just does that to so about disturbing. a thousand guys. As they it's come. so gross. But what's what's so sad about that? And we'll talk about it when it comes up. Is that to me, First Blood is. Sylvester Stallone's best movie, hands yeah, down, yeah. hands down, and and it is a great movie, and you'll yeah. see. I don't know. Yeah, if we'll talk about it. See. We'll talk about. It. But uh, but Alien and Terminator are more uh, the, the kind of franchises that I like, which is sci-fi, yeah, yeah. and also building upon a world. And I love world building. I love yeah. little minutia. I love the things that that. Uh, carry over from movie to movie to movie. I yeah, love the yeah. Easter eggs. I love that kind of stuff. And and these franchises that they've created really lend itself to that. And I and I'm glad that we started with Alien because I think Alien, you know, not, not counting Star Wars or any of that stuff, but Alien was really the first big franchise movie. Yeah, maybe. Well, you know. James Bond, but James Bond is also a different kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, very it's, different beast. It's a yeah. bunch of books, and it's, it has its own thing. But this was kind of the first movie to expand a universe that went beyond film, beyond TV, beyond yeah. books, beyond games, beyond in, in comic books, and just created an entire industry based around the product, right? Right, right. And, and, and for the most part, a pretty solid... Yeah. Piece of work, yeah, you know? yeah, pretty yeah. solid yeah. genre, pretty solid thing. You know, there's there's a really great. You can find them online. You can uh, there's a timeline where it includes all the all the Alien movies and the Predator movies and and a, a couple other the Blade Runner and apparently Soldiers in the same universe. Yeah. But you can watch all of these. There's great online. You can find timelines. Sit down and watch like 15 movies that are all in this universe. Oh, those are so like, fun. It's to me huge. Too. I mean, it all started with this movie. Yes, and it also just and, and like you're saying, it inspires people to create timelines and to fill in the gaps and to have fan fiction and to have uh, fan films made from Alien yeah. and yeah. all sorts. It, it's one of the First franchises too. Again, not counting Star Wars. Right. Well, that, but that again, that was a different beast. Completely brought people in and sucked yeah. them in and, and created its own cottage industry. It was so inspiring to so many people. So many people wanted to tell stories like that because it wasn't just Jaws in space. No, it no, was, it was a not. really solid, scary, suspenseful, well-rounded, excellent film. That deserve to be nominated for Academy Awards, I think. Next time you go into a room and turn the light on, look for that alien trying to give you a hug. Gonna give you a hug. <laughs> anyway. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we're going to do First Blood. I am... Oh, no. Yes. First Blood. That's what we're covering. Is it First Blood? Yeah. Is that... 
And Terminators was after First yeah. Blood? Yeah, Terminator was 84. Oh, First wow. Blood was uh, 82. But hopefully by then I will have finished the book, yeah. First Blood, which is very different. <laughs> First Blood, not me. <laughs> My favorite part of that movie is uh, when he's like, he's going to drive his car. He's going to drive his car. He's got no legs. He's got no legs. You'll see. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. We'll see you next week. Wet. <laughs> what the <laughs> f*** was that? Oh, my God. Wait. Here we go down to the Genix Files. Here we go down to the Genix Files. Okay. Okay. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Dallas. Already in progress. Thank you.